This morning's reading is from Ecclesiastes chapter 6, starting at verse 10 to chapter 7, verse 14. Whatever exists has already been named, and what humanity is has been known. No one can contend with someone who is stronger. The more the words, the less the meaning. And how does that profit anyone? For who knows what is good for a person in life during the few and meaningless days they pass through like a shadow? Who can tell them what will happen under the sun after they are gone? A good name is better than fine perfume, and the day of death better than the day of birth. It is better to go to a house of mourning than to go to a house of feasting. For death is the destiny of everyone. The living should take this to heart. Frustration is better than laughter, because a sad face is good for the heart. The heart of the wise is in the house of mourning, but the heart of fools is in the house of pleasure. It is better to heed the rebuke of a wise person than to listen to the song of fools. Like the crackling of thorns under the pot, so is the laughter of fools. This too is meaningless. Extortion turns a wise person into a fool, and a bribe corrupts the heart. The end of a matter is better than its beginning, and patience is better than pride. Do not be quickly provoked in your spirit, for anger resides in the lap of fools. Do not say, why were the old days better than these? For it is not wise to ask such questions. Wisdom, like an inheritance, is a good thing, and benefits those who see the sun. Wisdom is a shelter, as money is a shelter. But the advantage of knowledge is this. Wisdom preserves those who have it. Consider what God has done. Who can straighten what he has made crooked? When times are good, be happy. But when times are bad, consider this. God has made the one as well as the other. Therefore, no one can discover anything about their future. This is God's word. Well, good morning, everyone. Uh, back in these strange times, but um, here is actually a brilliant passage to look at in confusing times. Hopefully we'll understand why that is. Let me pray, and then we'll look at Ecclesiastes 7 uh, together. Our great God and Father, we thank you and we praise you that your word has everything we need for life in a complicated world. Uh, and Father, today is a day when we remember and give thanks uh, for the many servicemen who have given their lives, who continue to serve us uh, across the world. 
Father, today is a day when we're a bit bemused by re-entering uh, lockdown. And so, please speak. Would we hear you clearly so we'd know how to live in confusing times, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, without naming names, there's uh, one member of the congregation uh, who comes in the morning who... Um, if you happen to mention to them that uh, uh, someone you know, your child in particular, is going through a rough patch, she will say often the wise words, well, I pity the child who never goes through adversity. Now, in a culture like ours of snowplow parenting, when uh, the default setting is to clear all obstacles out of the way of children so that their path is sort of nice and smooth and there's nothing that trips them up. In one sense, that may be counterintuitive. Oh, I pity the child who's never faced adversity. And yet, it doesn't take much thought, and we know that that must be right. Because actually, through hardships, you learn a great deal. And Ecclesiastes 7 will say that God is not a snowplow parent. He fully permits adversity, bumps in the road, kinks in the path. But we need them. We need them to grow in wisdom. So uh, if you're just joining us this week, we're returning to the book of Ecclesiastes. We, um, we looked at chapters 1 to 6 uh, back in the spring, and uh, we're returning to it now. One, to get to the end of the book, uh, but secondly, it's just, I think, a particularly helpful bit of scripture to look at as we re-enter lockdown, because Ecclesiastes is a book for when life is messy, for when things are not straightforward. Uh, in many ways, even as we'll think today, here is a book which tells you, look, here's how you should think in a world which is bent out of shape, in a world which is crooked and we can't straighten it out, it's just bent and annoyingly so, well, here's how you live in that world. And uh, in particular, today the teacher will say, look, in times of adversity, consider what God is doing in your life and trust him. In a confusing world, trust him. He can achieve much good in your confusion, in your adversity. Uh, broadly then, uh, chapters 1 to 6 of Ecclesiastes, um, there's sort of one section, sort of the, the, the pursuit of happiness, the pursuit of contentment, and uh, the phrase that comes up seven times is it's just chasing the wind. Uh, life without God is just chasing the wind. Well, that's chapters 1 to 6, and, and, and that phrase now drops away. And the second half of the book, I think uh, chapter 7 uh, to the end, it's dominated or introduced by the two questions, two questions we get in chapter 6, verse 12. I think they sort of function as the chapter headings for the rest of the book. So here you have these two questions, chapter 6, verse 12. Who knows what is good for a person in life during the few and meaningless days they pass through like a shadow? What's the good thing to do in a fallen world? And the second one, who can tell them what will happen under the sun after they've gone? So those two questions, I think, will occupy us the next two weeks. Uh, the first one, chapter 7 and 8, I think, broadly. Who knows what is a good way to live in the fallen world? And then in uh, three weeks' time, we'll get to what happens when we're gone.
So we look at the first question today, and actually we're going to look at it in two halves. First half now, then we'll have an act of remembrance, and then we'll return. So we'll look at it like this. It's better, well, who knows what's good for us? That's the question. And uh, the writer will say, look, it's better to reflect on death than laugh in denial, verses 1 to 4. And then after Act of Remembrance, we'll look at this, 5 to 12. It's better to pursue patient wisdom than short-term gain. You're not going to remember those, are you? But uh, let's look at the first. Verses 1 to 4. It's better to reflect on death than laugh in denial. So better, better, better. That sort of comes up seven times, I think, or eight times in the passage. It's better to do this than the other. So chapter 7, verse 1. A good name is better than fine perfume. Yes, we know that. Reputation is better than a flashy smell which comes and goes. But I think he's just warming us up for the more surprising second half of verse 7. A day of death is better than the day of birth. Really? Gosh. Well, how can that be? Verse 2. You see, it's better to go to a house of mourning than to go to a house of feasting, for death is the destiny of everyone. The living should take this to heart. Frustration is better than laughter, because a sad face is good for the heart. The heart of the wise is in the house of the mourning, but the heart of fools is in the house of pleasure. Don't mishear the teacher. He's already said in this book, feasting is good, food is good, drink is good, laughter is good. These are all good things, okay? But... Mourning is a better teacher. Frustration will teach you more than if you've just had your life cleared by a snowplow. I guess COVID has taught us some of this. You know, the first lockdown, lots of celebrities, nothing to do, performing from their houses. Look at me, I'll play the piano from my vast mansion. It was sort of it wasn't very good, and we learned, actually, we'd much rather applaud nurses and doctors and healthcare workers on our steps, because right now they really matter in the face of death. Actually, we'll applaud delivery drivers, uh, uh, people on the checkouts at Sainsbury's, etc., because they really value now, and, and the sort of celebrities, I mean, it's nice, they sort of entertain us, but actually, there's stuff we need in life that's more fundamental What's worth listening to? All of a sudden, sort of, again, vacuous self-improvement messages. I don't want to listen to them. They've got nothing to offer to me. Actually, the Bible becomes a whole lot more valuable. You see, frustration can teach us what matters. <coughs> so it's in that sense that a sad face is good for the heart. And verse 4, the house of mourning teaches you wisdom. Into a few funerals recently. In the 21st century, lots of people will mock God and laugh at Jesus Christ. No one mocks God at a funeral. There's not a lot of laughter in the crematorium. No one cracks gags at the graveside. Obviously, it's a sober moment. And we think, oh, and it's meant to teach us, what are you doing with your life? What matters? 
It's Remembrance Sunday. Uh, when I trained for ordained ministry, I've said this a number of times, but the, um, I did a very, very short stint as an army chaplain at uh, Sandhurst. Uh, it's embarrassing to say it, really. But uh, during my brief time there, I'd get asked by uh, some of the, the, the cadets, what, what is your job? I mean, it was essentially saying, what is the point of view? You know, what, what, is, what is your job? And when I was thinking straight, I, I learned the, the right response was, uh, oh, I'm here to tell you about heaven and hell. I'm here to get you ready for when you die, and that'll help you live well now. That was my response, I learned. I'm I'm here to get you ready for when you die, and that'll help you now. Strange thing, in the forces, the the response was not a polite splutter. Generally, it was, go on then, tell me. Because even if you're training in the UK, if you're in the services, death is on the agenda more than for many of us and it forces you to engage a little bit more certainly at times see death is on the agenda and it makes you ask wiser questions when you're in or near the house of mourning than when you're in the house of feasting so in a moment we're going to pause for two minutes as an act of remembrance every year of course but it makes me wonder What do you think about during those two minutes? I mean, for some it's obvious. For some, we'll think of those who have died. For others, think of family, friends in the forces overseas now. For some, it's really obvious what to think about. For many of us, I I don't know. What do we think about? Well, of course, it's quite right to remember. It's quite right. I don't know if you saw any of the, 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 um, the thing from the Albert Hall last night. It's very moving to remember. The testimony of survivors from the Second World War, very moving, quite right. And alongside that, the teacher would say of Ecclesiastes, let the sacrifice of former generations teach you. Let it make you wise. Let you make you think, what am I doing? Back to Ecclesiastes chapter 7. What is good for us in a confusing world? Well, it's better to reflect on death and laugh and deny it. But then secondly, in verses 5 to 12, it's better to pursue patient wisdom than short-term gain. So the better thans uh, continue uh, in verses uh, 5 onwards. Verse 5, it is better to heed the rebuke of a wise person Then listen to the song of fools, like the cracking of thorns under the pot. So is the laughter of fools. This too is meaningless. Fools, wise, fools, wise, alternate uh, in this section. One way is stupid, one way is not. Uh, Follow the way of wisdom. And uh, just as frustration and death can teach us more than pleasure and birth, so rebukes from a friend, well, they'll teach us more than just their approval. Uh, verse 6, apparently, I'm no expert, but thorns, if you throw them on a fire, they'll make a nice crackling sound, but they won't actually provide much heat. A lot of noise with no use. And that's what friends who will never rebuke you will be like. You want friends, not aggressively, not you know, annoyingly, not relentlessly, but from time to time will say, Look, I, I wonder, I wonder, in the big things and small things. Friends who at times will say, don't be an idiot. Cut that out. 
last month. I had a friend wrote me an email and um, it wasn't long, but he just said, look, I, I, could I say, I, I wonder if you've developed a slightly poor attitude in this meeting that we attend together and um, you should change. Uh, it's not a big deal, but if you had ketchup on your chin after a sandwich, I'd uh, tell you, and you've got a bit of um, attitudinal ketchup that you just want to wipe away and um, it'll be fine. And it wasn't a big deal, but he was right and I was grateful and uh, so will others be, hopefully. Seek out friends who rebuke you. They'll help you avoid these other mistakes in verses 7 to 10. I, I think that's probably why it heads the list. So extortion turns a wise person into a fool and a bribe corrupts the heart. Quick buck? No, don't go that way. Verse 8, the end of a matter is better than its beginning. Presumably you've learned more by the end. Patience is better than pride. Perhaps that's the summary of these verses, 7 to 9. Don't quickly be provoked in your spirit. Anger resides in the lap of fools. And alongside those sort of impestuous sins, verse 10, here's the old person's uh, problem. Don't say, oh, why were the old days better than these current ones? It's just not wise to ask such questions. Oh, it's just so easy to do, isn't it? Oh, it was better back then. I sometimes think it would have been easier to have been a minister a hundred years ago. What a stupid thing to say. God says, get on with life today. Don't just keep looking backwards. And wisdom protects you today, verses 11 and 12. Wisdom like an inheritance is a good thing and benefits those who see the sun. Wisdom is a shelter just as money is a shelter. But the advantage of knowledge is this. Wisdom preserves those who have it. Oh, okay. Well, yes, money, he says, can, to a certain extent, it, it can um, insulate you from hardship. The current climate, if you're made unemployed, that's tough. If you've got several million in the bank, it's less tough. Uh, it insulates you a little bit. And he says in the same way, wisdom insulates you from the hardships of life because you'll know what to do if you've been fashioned into a wise person. You, you won't make mistakes. And wisdom has an advantage, verse 12. It's better than money in that wisdom preserves those who have it. Literally, the text says, wisdom gives life to those who have it. I don't know why they haven't translated it that way. It's more helpful, I think. Wisdom gives life. For the teacher who wrote Ecclesiastes, I think that just means life here and now. But this is one of those points where as Christian readers of the book, we say, okay, well, there's Ecclesiastes in the context of the whole Bible, and in particularly the work of Jesus Christ. And wisdom gives life now. Yeah, Jesus comes along and says, John 10, 10, I've come that they may have life to the full, even now. But alongside that, John 11, verse 25 I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though they die, will live. Wisdom that is Jesus, I mean, he is wisdom become flesh. He gives life now, but he gives eternal life, even more than the teacher recognized. Wisdom gives and in that sense, wisdom preserves life into eternity. It's better to pursue patient wisdom, to trust the wisdom that is in Jesus Christ, 
than it is for short-term gain. Let's to the writer here, back in Ecclesiastes 7, he draws to a close and says, well, look, consider. So you get it twice. Okay, in adversity, in confusion, when you think, wow, I don't know what to do. This, this world is messed up. Consider. Verse 13, consider what God has done. Who can straighten what he has made crooked? When times are good, be happy. When times are bad, consider the second time. Consider this. God has made the one as well as the other. Therefore, no one can discover anything about their future. Oh. Is that good news? Yes, it is. This is a fallen world, says the teacher. Same as he said in chapter one, it's a crooked world. It's bent out of shape. And in a bent out of shape world, you can't make everything add up. You can't say, well, I observed the world, and the answer is, sometimes you throw your hands in the air and go, this is rubbish. But it's okay. Yes, the world is bent out of shape, and we can't straighten it. Ever since we've rebelled against God's, God's good rule. But what are you going to do when life goes wrong? In, in a global sense, in a personal sense. Are you going to rant at God? That makes no sense. If you don't think he's there, if you think he's there, what are you going to do? Well, the answer really is to trust him. That's what the teacher is saying in verse 14. Oh, when times are good, enjoy them. And they're not always bad. I met up with someone this week and he says, life is going really well. I said, it's okay. That's okay. It doesn't always have to be bad. Just enjoy the good times. Enjoy them. Enjoy when life is good. But when times are bad, you need to remember God has made one as well as the other. And he's not a snowplow parent. He'll allow adversity to come and pity the child who knows no adversity because through it you gain wisdom. In adversity, the question to ask is, what is God doing in my life? And sometimes you just can't see the answer. And you say, Lord, I, I want the key. I want the key to understanding. I want to be able to unlock this confusion and go, oh, now I understand. And sometimes he says, no, I don't give you the key. You just have to trust that I've got it. You have to trust me. And so we'll sing in a moment William Cooper's great hymn, God Moves in a Mysterious Way. And many will know his life story that... Various extreme periods of depression. He tried to take his life on three different occasions. But in, when he writes this hymn in the middle, you fearful saints, fresh courage take. The clouds you so much dread are big with mercy and shall break in blessings on your head. God has made the bad times as well as the good times. But even the bad times, even the adversity, it is for your benefit. That's how wisdom can develop. This world is crooked, Lord. I can't fix it, but you can. You will. I trust you. I trust the one that could take even the most crooked event of history, the death of the Lord Jesus Christ, the death of God in, in flesh uh, upon the cross. Even through that most crooked event, you can bring good. I trust you. So in a confusing world, 
what is good for us to do? Consider God. Trust him. Let me lead us in prayer. Father, our experiences at the moment will be varied. These are confusing times. There is an adversity to living through a, a, a pandemic, of course. When we reflect upon that, would we know that you send good times and we must rejoice in them? You send bad times and in them there is an opportunity to trust more deeply in you. Adversity can be a far greater teacher than ease. So Father, would we look to you? Would we know that you are the one who brings wisdom from setback, who brings good from evil, who can bring life, eternal life, through the death of the Lord Jesus? In a confusing world of adversity, Father, would we trust you? We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.